Let us come then and be attentive to the words of the Lord, as we just sang there in Psalm 66. And let's turn, first of all, in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 12. And we'll read verse 1 to 12. Deuteronomy 12, beginning at verse 1. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and, and you shall rejoice, you and your household, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters your male servant and your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. So far from reading Deuteronomy, let's turn now to the New Testament and read together Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 22. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the hands by flesh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Our text this morning is from the first book of Chronicles, chapter 22. In West Albany, we're working through the book of Chronicles. So let us turn to chapter 22 of First Chronicles and we'll read the entire chapter together. And the entire chapter will form our text as you see that division in the three points. First Chronicles 22, beginning at verse 1. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offerings for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number. For the Sidonians and Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparations for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you and to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only 
May the Lord grant you direction and understanding, that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper. If you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel, be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. With great plans I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing. For there is so much of it, timber and stone too, I have provided. To these you must add, you have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working, gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work, the Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the Lord is subdued before the Lord and his people. The land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. So far from the reading of Scripture. After the proclamation of God's Word, let's respond with singing that our only comfort is knowing that our Father is preparing a heavenly habitation. Hymn 64, verse 1 and 2, after the preaching. Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, architects and builders and tradies and labourers, they're all involved at different stages of building a house. The architect is busy designing, the builder is busy organising and the tradesmen and labourers are there on site using their hands to nail and cut everything and join the structure together. And that's the imagery that we also see in our text here with King David, preparing to build a house for the Lord. We see that David is the architect. He spends a lot of time designing God's house. We see that in verses 1 through to 5. He, makes, he even found the location for where the temple was going to be built in verse 1. He prepares all the materials for Solomon. And then he prepares Solomon, who is the builder. He's going to build the house of the Lord. And Solomon is going to arrange everything in such a way that it is completed and finished, just as a builder would organise the job site and all the work that needs to be done to complete the house. And then we also see at the end of the chapter in verses 6 to 16, sorry, verses 17 to 19, David preparing the leaders, those who are going to help Solomon build the house those who will be more hands-on with the work, supervising and also arranging the labourers to complete the work of the Lord. 
Now, this pattern that we see reflects even further than this to the work of God Himself. To the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we see that God the Father, He is the architect, He is the designer in His eternal counsel and will, He has a, a plan in mind that He is bringing to completion and fulfilment in this age. He has ordained and appointed His Son to, to accomplish that, to acquire that, to also arrange everything in such a way that that plan of the Father is, is complete, that plan of having a habitation, a dwelling place for Him and His people. And then we see how the Holy Spirit is the one who is busy at work, joining and, and fitting everything together so that God and His people might dwell together in holiness and righteousness and truth and in joy. And that's the theme that we see from First Chronicles 22 this morning. David prepares for the house of the Lord to be built. We firstly see David prepares the materials in verses 1 to 5. We see David prepares Solomon in verses 6 to 16. And we see David prepares the leaders in verses 17 to 19. So prior to chapter 22, David has spent a lot of time vanquishing and conquering his enemies. He has subdued the Philistines and Edomites and Moabites and the, the Ammonites. And chapter 22 now starts to take a bit of a transition in the book of, in First Chronicles. It now moves towards David preparing for the house of the Lord to be built once all those enemies have been subdued. And we see in verses 1 to 5 that the first thing David does is he identifies the location for that dwelling place of God and he also then gathers the materials together and it is a, an abundance of material that Solomon collects. He also arranges for all the aliens living in Israel and for the young children, if you're wondering who they are, they are the people who sojourned and lived in Israel. They were not the, the permanent, they were not the native Israelites. They were those who perhaps sought refuge in Israel from, from other nations. And yet, living in Israel, they enjoyed and they shared in the, the benefits of the, the covenant that God had with Israel. For example, they, they, were, they would participate in the feasts which would assume that they were then also circumcised. They would participate in the offerings and they could also be punished under the law of Moses, death for blasphemy, for example. They were like those who came into covenant fellowship with God later in their life, a little bit like how we might see someone come into the church or into the Christian faith later in life, as a, in contrast to someone who is raised up in the, in the covenant and in the church. And these David arranges and organises to do the work on the temple. Now, we also see in verses 1 to 5, not only does he arrange the stonecutters and, and woodcutters, who are these resident aliens in, living in Israel, he also gathers all the resources, stone and wood, gold, silver, bronze and iron. And this was no small amount. We see from verses 14 and 15 that he had collected 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, iron and bronze, that was beyond measurement, beyond weight. Now in comparison, 100,000 talents of gold today is about 3,400 tonnes, which would equal, in today's currency, about $321 billion. So this was an unbelievable amount of resources and materials that David had collected for Solomon to build the house of the Lord. And not only was there a great amount that was collected by David, he was also very detailed in the gathering and preparing for the temple as well. In verse 3, we read in verse 3 that 
He even prepared iron so that there would be nails for the doors, the gates and joints of the temple. So David was so precise and so detailed in his organisation, even, even down to the nails that were going to be used. But a question that arises in our minds, and it is answered in a text here, is where is all these resources coming from? Where are all these materials being collected from? Well, David gathered all this great wealth for the building project from his victories that had come in the chapters prior to chapter 22. For example, in chapter 18, verse 8, we read that David defeated Hadadezer and he brought in large amounts of bronze, and we read there that Solomon uses that bronze to make the bronze sea and the pillars and the articles of bronze for the temple. We read there that the wood came from Sidon and Tyre, and Sidon, we know, was a nation that lived outside the borders of Israel, and we know from the first chapter of Chronicles that he was the son of Canaan. Sidon was the firstborn son of Canaan. And Tyre is also mentioned here and at this moment in Israel's history, Israel and Tyre are on a friendly relationship but we know from other places in Scripture that Sidon is spoken of as being full of greed and idolatry and and wickedness. The biblical prophets often rebuked Tyre for its pride Ezekiel 28 has a strong warning and rebuke against the king of Tyre for his insatiable greed and pride. And so verses 1 to 5 here, what is all this saying? What does all this mean? Well, God is using the nations around Israel to, to fund David's building project. By the Lord's help, David's dominion over the nations... He had gathered in this great amount of wealth to prepare for the Lord's house to be built, picturing the Lord's dominion and the Lord's power and His sovereignty over all the nations. This was also a great comfort and true for the exiles who were returning from Babylon. The book of Chronicles was specifically written during that time for the people of Israel, the Jews who were returning back to Jerusalem after the exile. And they come back to Jerusalem. God's house has been destroyed. The throne of David is in the dust. His crown has been thrown into the dust, Psalm 87, 89. God's king is no longer sitting there administering justice and righteousness. And so for the people of Israel to hear of the work that God is doing in the days of David is also a work that God is going to continue to do in their day as well. When we look at Ezra chapter 6 verse 4 and 5, where do we see all the the resources, all the materials come from that is going to build the the temple again for the people of Israel when they come back to Jerusalem after exile. Well, we read there in Ezra chapter 6 that it is King Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians who, who sent the Jews back to Jerusalem and that they would build the temple at the cost of the king's treasury. We read in Isaiah chapter 45, that God appointed Cyrus to do this. We read in verse 4, I have even called you by name. I have called you, though you have not known me, he is saying of Cyrus. These other nations, these other kings around Israel, they did not know the Lord God like Israel did. Yes, perhaps they knew him by name, but they didn't have that that covenant relationship, that intimacy that the Lord had with his people Israel. And yet they continue to serve the Lord's purpose. All these nations, all these kings under his domain are serving his plan, his work to build the temple. God is the one who's in complete control here. He is the designer. He is the architect of his house. And he is using these nations 
the Sidonians, the Tyrians, Cyrus for when his people returned back to Jerusalem. All these God is using to build a dwelling place for himself. And beloved, everything, everything that happens, everything that takes place on this earth is serving that purpose. It is serving that end and that goal of God. Whether it's prime ministers or presidents or the social elites of today, they all serve the purpose of God for Him to have a dwelling place for Him and His people. God has prepared everything, even to the very smallest details, in His eternal will and counsel. Nothing, nothing escapes His mind, His attention. Nothing goes past His throne room without His sanctioning, without His okay, because everything is serving His plan. Just like David thought about those tiny nails that needed to be used to build the house. So God thinks about every small thing that we think is minute or insignificant or unimportant. Now after the sermon, we're going to sing from hymn 64. The great comfort that that is for believers. What is in life and death my only aid, my comfort when I am by troubles swayed? And to that, the answer of the hymn in verse 2 says, Without my Father's will, not a hair falls from my head. He shall for me prepare a heavenly habitation. Sing those words, beloved, from your heart, knowing that your Father, perfectly wise, perfectly powerful, detailed architect, for His dwelling place. This means that everything that is happening in life is according to God's purpose, preparing a place for you, an eternal dwelling place, the new heavens, the new earth, glory and honour and splendour and majesty beyond comprehension. And it means that everything's happening here, beloved, sickness, illness, disease, mental illness or cancer, wars and pandemics, Everything is under his domain. Everything is under his rule. Everything is serving his purpose. We even confess this in Lord's Day 10. Droughts and barren years, sickness, poverty, all these things, even the bad things, even old age, brothers and sisters, all these things, the result of the curse on creation because of the fall into sin, everything broken, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, And yet for believers, for those who confess Jesus Christ and those who have God as their Father, they know that while these things may not be taken away, sometimes He does in this life, but He's actually using those for the furtherance of His plan and His will that you and Him might be closer together until He has finished His building project, until He has finished you, completed you. In Jesus Christ and in God's plan and will, He is in fact reversing the curse on creation for His children. So that rather than all these broken things in life, rather than destroying God's people, they are in fact being used by Him to draw them unto Himself. Think of Job, for example. He who suffered a great deal and yet after far richer. And isn't it often so much the case, brothers and sisters, that through the difficult times it's God who is drawing us closer to Himself. We feel closer to Him. We're often more times in prayer with Him during the difficult times and hard times. That's just evidence that He's using all those things to have a closer communion with you. When the tradesmen and when the labourers are on site, sometimes they look at the plans and sometimes they they see what needs to be done and sometimes they they say things, that's just not going to happen. There's no way that that, that's going to work. Based on their experience of being in the trade and hands-on for so many years, 
They just sometimes have that sight to see that even though it's been put this way in the designs, that's just not... How's that even going to happen? We can't do it like that. And sometimes they'll they'll jokingly speak about the engineers and, and architects sitting in their studies, in their offices, designing, and they'll often speak about how with being hands-on and practical, you can see certain things with your eye that you might not be able to see while you're in your study, designing these things and having these little details there. And yet with our Father in heaven, brothers and sisters, there is everything that is detailed perfectly, everything is being carried out to perfection and there's no complaining. There's no com- Every- While it's easy for us to complain about, about God's design for our life, He's perfectly wise and he does always what is best. Sometimes we can complain about what God has in plan for us. The suffering and trials that we must endure. And yet he is perfectly wise in his planning. That is the God that we have come into church this morning to worship, brothers and sisters. He is the sovereign architect, God the Father, designer of your life. That is your great comfort and yet it is also can be very hard to accept that. Why can it sometimes be so hard to accept that a God as our Father, the, the perfectly wise architect and planner of all things and including our life? It's often hard to accept that, beloved, because we want to control our own life. We want to design our own life. We often rather be the architects of our own life. And that's exactly how Adam and Eve acted in the garden, didn't they? But thanks be to God, brothers and sisters, that our life does not depend on us, but it is in God's hands, because we would surely make more of a mess of it if left up to ourselves, if every time we want to take more and more control of our life... We show more and more mess of our life and we depart from God's will for our lives and we're coming to our second point to see that God's design for us is to live in His Word, to live accordance to His Word, to pursue righteousness and and holiness. Following His design according to His Word, beloved, then He does build you, He builds His people into that beautiful, glorious, magnificent dwelling place. And we see that this is how Solomon is also going to build the house of the Lord, our second point, because David prepares Solomon to build the house by encouraging him and charging him to keep the commands of the Lord, walk with the Lord, he will prosper you and bless you. And so we see that in verses 6 to 16, we see that David summons his son Solomon and gives him a charge to build the house and David has said that to Solomon that even though it was in his heart to build the Lord a house, it was his plan, the Lord had said that he would not because he has shed a lot of blood. He's had a lot of great wars in his lifetime. That shedding of blood, brothers and sisters, and all those great wars was a reminder to David, it's a reminder to God's people of the world that we still live in, the broken world the world under the curse, the world that in rebellion had turned away from God. Sin turned God's face and His presence away from those whom He loved and created in His own image in righteousness and holiness. That first blood that needed to be shed after the, the fall into sin was a picture of that. And every shedding of blood after that is a reminder beloved, of the curse that continues in creation. Not until there is peace between God and sinners can God then dwell with them on the earth once again. And that's why we read from Deuteronomy chapter 12, we read there about God's promise for His people before they'd even come into the promised land. He'd promised that He would have a a dwelling place with them, a place of rest, that He would choose a, a place for Him to dwell with His people God had already spoken about that to David in chapter 17 of 1 Chronicles. 
He's reminding his son now, Solomon here, of what God had spoken to David in chapter 17 about David having a son who was going to be a man of rest and peace, who would have quietness in Israel from all the enemies around them. And that's what Solomon's name means. Solomon's name comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. And yet when we read this life of Solomon, we know what happens at the end, don't we, beloved? Solomon was David's son who built the temple, yes. But we know that he was not able to maintain or keep that temple, was he? Or even David's other sons. Because God was speaking about his son, speaking to David in chapter 17 and here also in chapter 22. It was his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood, who would bring that peace on earth between God and sinners. And through his death, there would be reconciliation. We read that in Ephesians chapter 2. You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Christ's death was absolutely necessary because we had turned away from God's original design. God's design was for him to live with his people on the earth in holiness and righteousness and joy and peace. We turned away from that in our sin in Adam and Eve create brought ruin into the world our sin destroyed that beautiful communion we had with him and now there is only war and division and bloodshed in the world by turning away from God's words that's what it was for Adam and Eve by not following his design we corrupted ourselves and God could no longer dwell with us he could no longer live with us his eyes are too holy and righteous to behold iniquity And yet it's not all hopeless, brothers and sisters, because while it seems that there is only war and division and bloodshed and heartache and brokenness in this world, there is a plan of restoration. There is a plan of redemption that God has been unfolding since the very beginning. That had always been in his eternal minds and counsel. Already having charged his own son before time, divinely appointed to procure that peace and rest, to rule over the kingdoms, to rule over the nations on God's behalf for the benefit of his people. And he did that. He did that by living and dying on this earth. By living in perfect righteousness and holiness and dying for the punishment that our sins deserve. We read in our text about Solomon being charged to keep the law and the word of the Lord. He says, David says that to Solomon, that he would prosper and he would succeed in this peace and in the building project when the Lord gives him wisdom and understanding and the authority to guard and keep the law of the Lord concerning Israel, to keep the statutes and judgments, to lead the people of Israel. And during the days of Solomon, Israel enjoyed that peace. They had rest in their land. His throne was established. He built the the temple. And that peace and that prosperity and that joy, it was maintained, it was kept. But not forever, was it? Not forever. Solomon was not able to keep and maintain the peace and rest that God had given to his people through David. In fact, we know the story due to Solomon's own heart turning away from the Lord toward the end of his life, the kingdom was divided. And so came another cycle of bloodshed, wars, division. Just like after the fall into sin with Adam and Eve, there was bloodshed. And like every time we don't keep our word, brothers and sisters... We divide, we tear down, we destroy when we don't incline our hearts to the law and commandments of the Lord, when we don't obey His voice, walk in His ways. 
And we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the shedding of his blood, he bore that punishment that our sins deserve, but he also lived that perfect life so that we might, in the Spirit, live that life he lived, that God might also help us maintain and keep the peace and unity that we have as his body. For he is God's wisdom from above. He kept God's law perfectly. He fulfilled the statutes and commandments that we read about here, that the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. And he has now acquired a people for himself and its habitation for God, a dwelling place. And now through faith in him, brothers and sisters, we receive, you receive that righteousness and holiness, sins washed away, favour with God so that you now may dwell with him and he with you. And now by his spirit, he is preparing you, he is leading you, he is carrying you, helping you on that road to that eternal dwelling place where we can experience and hope for that eternal rest, eternal peace, eternal joy. And as that road continues, we don't do that on our own, we don't do it in our own strength. And God has given leaders to the church as under-shepherds to guide and lead his people in that path. We see that in the third point where David prepares the leaders to build the house in verses 17 to 19. And this is David's third preparation that he takes in this chapter concerning the leaders. We particularly see that at the end of the chapter, Solomon is young, he's inexperienced, he needs help to build the house of the Lord. So David gathers the leaders together and he's going to, and he does charge them to help Solomon with building the house. And David begins by telling them in verse 17 that God is with them. He has shown that by subduing all the enemies around them. He's given peace to his people. He's charged them now that they would arise and begin that work, to complete that work so that the ark can be brought into the temple, that symbol of God's presence with his people, and that God will live with them. The leaders are told in our verse, verses here to set their hearts and soul to seek the Lord God and that was what the exiles needed to know when they came back from Babylon that was the reason why they'd been sent to Babylon in the first place they had been sent there because their heart and their soul had not sought the Lord wholly and diligently and loyally they sought the gods of the nations around them they strayed away from God's law and his commandments they forsook his word God chastised them and punished them. And so when the exiles returned to Jerusalem, they needed to also make preparations for building the temple of the Lord. Just how God provided all the materials for David through his victories, God would prepare the materials for, his, for the exiles. God is doing everything for these exiles that so they might dwell with him once again. And they had to learn the same lessons that David gave to Solomon for success and for prosperity in the work that God had given them to do. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord God. And that was the same for Adam and Eve in the garden too. In those words, don't, don't eat the fruit. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's a call to obedience. They would preserve their life they would prosper and succeed in their mandates to live and live with the Lord as, as stewards over his creation. They would keep and preserve that through their love and obedience to God. He didn't have to earn it. It was given to them graciously as a gift. Just also God's habitation is given graciously and freely as a gift to his people Israel and to you also, beloved, too. He's brought you here this morning to offer you once again that wonderful promise a comfort of a dwelling place with him. And the leaders that we have, brothers and sisters, charged by God to, to have oversight over that and over your life. Many of us have positions of leadership. There are the elders and the deacons. There are fathers and mothers and teachers and business owners. And this text is not specifically referring to church leaders, but those whom God has given authority over others. And it's a wonderful privilege to have that authority from God, whether it's elders or deacons, fathers, mothers, teachers, business owners, 
wonderful privilege to be in a position of leadership with authority that God has given to serve His goal and His purpose in the world, ultimately for His dwelling place amongst and with His people. And so in all the work that we do, we can be kingdom-focused and kingdom-minded. We're coming closer to ordination of office bearers and the consistory with the deacons has requested for nominations of brothers who can fill this task. And brothers, it's something to be thinking about. David's just charged the leaders here to help Solomon build the house. God also charges you, brothers, to help build his house. What is it going to take? What does it look like to be a leader for God? Is that some of, young men, are you thinking about that? Are you aspiring to to that work of God in his kingdom and his church? Are you preparing for, for that call to office? And brothers and sisters, who are you looking for? Who are the type of leaders you want to see sitting here with oversight over you, with that that glorious privilege of oversight of, of your souls, of your eternal dwelling place with God? Well, God tells us right here, brothers and sisters, those who have set their heart and their soul on seeking the Lord, those who look for their strength in Christ, those who know God's Word, those who are serving the cause of the church, those who are helping, encouraging growth in righteousness and holiness, just as Paul exhorts those Ephesians a few chapters later in chapter 4, that God has appointed there to be office bearers in the congregation, to also equip the saints for works of service, and where does Paul go in his argument of that? So that you might grow into the dwelling place of God, that you might grow more and more into maturity, into the head who is in Christ himself. And parents also have that wonderful privilege to nurture and train their children, as God has given them also authority. So brothers and sisters, we're coming to the end of our passage here. We've spoken about David and gathering materials and David charging Solomon and David charging the leaders. We've spoken about God the Father and God the Son and also God the Holy Spirit. And we're coming to the end of the sermon now and maybe you're wondering and questioning in your mind, well, what do I have to do as an individual member? What, as a member of this church, as, as, a, as a believer, what must I do? Well, brothers and sisters, look at the passage here, look at the comfort and the wonder and the glory of what God is doing because God is making all the preparations. God is making everything ready through His plan as the Father, through His, the work of the Son, through the application of the Holy Spirit because, because you are the house. You are the dwelling place of God's. You can't build yourself. You can't build yourself, beloved. You can only receive all of that work in faith and trusting in your Heavenly Father, in the work of the Son and also now the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's clear from our passage too. The people of God, they are not the subject in chapter 22. It's all about God working through David, charging his son and also the leaders. All the times that God's people are referred to, they are the object of what David is doing. In verses 1 to 5, we see God the Father, the architect and designer, 6 to 16, God the Son, the builder, 17 to 19, the work of the Holy Spirit working in the church, working also through the leaders of the church. And why is all this important? Because God's goal, brothers and sisters, His ultimate plan is to build, we read there in verse 5, an exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious house throughout all centuries. And that's that's you, brothers and sisters. That's for you. He wants that with you. 
He wants to dwell with you, live with you, be involved in your lives, intimate, a Trinitarian preparation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and wanting to bring you and prepare you for that new heavens and that new earth, the unfathomable joy that will be experienced. But then what must you do, brothers and sisters? What are you called to do? Well, we certainly get more instruction of this in the New Testament. Although it is there in the Old Testament, here in our chapter 2. Keep yourselves pure, holy, be obedient to His Word. As Adam and Eve failed to do. Live now in the Spirit, brothers and sisters, in obedience to His Word. Submit to His rule over your life. Be patient. Be patient with His will and plan for you. Forsake the world. Crucify your old nature. Flee from sin. Hate it. Fight against it. Resist the work of the devil. Love your brothers and sisters. Be involved with the church work. In all these things, brothers and sisters... God is preparing and leading us to His eternal dwelling place, but that we can already experience and enjoy that now here. We will grow as a people more and more into the head Jesus Christ. And are you preparing yourself, beloved, for the new heavens and the new earth, that eternal dwelling place with God? Are you looking forward to heaven and your life set on on that direction Or perhaps you're sitting in the pew this morning and you're enjoying life too much and the pleasures and things that the world has to offer. Or maybe you're scared. Maybe you're scared about the future and what's going to happen for you and for the church and for others. But David charges Solomon, the leaders, not to be dismayed, not to fear because everything is being prepared by the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So don't fear, brothers and sisters. God says that to you this morning, don't be scared of all that is happening in your life, that's all going on in the world around us. Everything is serving His plan for a heavenly habitation with you. And how glorious that is going to be, brothers and sisters, a exceedingly magnificent, glorious dwelling place beyond your or mine or anyone's ability to conceive or imagine. A place filled with joy, gladness that he'd already promised to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 7 and 13 that we read together, that we also read here and continuing through Chronicles he will finish that beloved you will taste and see that the lord is good he will give you joy and gladness and peace and rest for your souls it is coming amen